Good evening. Someone this evening uh, made a request that I speak about how to practice in the presence of another person. Was that it? (laughs) How to practice meditation or the Dharma in the presence of another person. And someone in the room replied very quickly, well, in, in, the, um, in the Dharma scene, in the Buddha Dharma scene, th- this is how you do it. You judge them like crazy, but act nice on the outside. <laughs> that was very tongue-in-cheek. It was a joke. <laughs> judge them like crazy, but act nice on the inside. That's not how you practice meditation (laughs) in the presence of others. I think it's an odd... I'm I'm going to lead into this in an odd sort of way. And it's it's maybe in a completely backward kind of way. What I wanted you to do for a moment and struck me as we were sitting and I was just feeling the the sense of separation melt away between us. I just thought that we would all appreciate, could all appreciate in the first few moments how deeply uh, interdependent we all are, how deeply, how deep the sense of interbeing that there is uh, between us, you could say. And in order to perhaps get a sense of this, I'd like to just invite you for a moment to suspend any kind of thought (laughs) and just notice your experience in this room after your last thought has ceased and before the next one arises. Notice what it's like for just a few moments that you don't give that you don't give rise to a thought about yourself or a thought about anyone else. And perhaps after your last thought has ceased and before the next one arises, you can sense some sort of um, non-separateness. Any of you have a little taste of that? Any of you feel that in that gap between the last thought of yourself and before the next, that there is a space where you're no longer, at least for that moment, dividing yourself into us and them, me or mine, I and other, that we are, as one way of speaking of it, we are of one taste. We are, another way of saying it, we are all together.
in this silence, in this connection. And if that doesn't succeed in giving you a sense of non-separateness, we'll try this one. We'll start with the conviction, our conventional point of view, the thought, and I want you to hold on to this thought for all it's worth for a few moments. Hold on to the thought, I am in this room. Hold on to the thought, I am in this room. And then take this thought, I am in this room, and begin to to wind it, unwind it, back from where those words emerged from. So, I am in this room. Let's, let's take the word room off of this sentence, wind it back toward its beginning. So, I am in this, and we can take off the word this. I am in. So, we've started holding this thought, I am in, the ro- in this room. We've remove, re- removed the room. We've removed this. And we're left with, I am in. And let's remove the word in. And we're left with the word what? Or the sentence, I am. I am. I want you to hold this one very tightly as well. I am. This thought, I am. And let's just keep going a little bit more and remove the word am. So what are we left with now? The word I Let's just hold on to this I. Actually, it feels kind of nice to hold on to the word I. Not a problem at this point at all. But just for the sake of our ex- exploration tonight in how to be mindful with others, let's just remove the I. And just sense what's experienced when there's and maybe someone can report to me what what's noticed or felt when we remove the eye. Space. Anything else? Relief. So any dividing line between us when we don't separate ourselves out as I and other. Any dividing line? Where do I stop and you begin in that silence? So perhaps you can tell in that shared silence that that we are made of we are we are in our deepest silence uh, connected. We can know cognitively that we breathe the same air, that our bodies are made up of the same elements: earth, air, fire, water. But we can from our direct experience, know that we are of one taste, that we are imbued with the same life. We are animated by this shared 
net of consciousness, presence. And when we, in those moments that we are not separating ourselves out through the obsessive self-referencing, we find silence and we find connection and feel relieved that we were perhaps all along not as far, not as cut off, separated, isolated as we thought we were. That we, even though we are each a unique expression of life, if it wasn't for this unique body, we couldn't even have this experience. But in spite of being a unique wave that has arisen on the ocean, that wave is not separate from the ocean. That wave is uh, interwoven, interpenetrated, part of the, immersed in the very thing that everyone's immersed in. We're all part of the ocean. So to me, this is the basis, this shared life, this shared breath, you could say, is the basis for, on one hand, the wisdom of non-separateness, the wisdom of the deathless, that everything is influencing everything else, that there's no beginning to our existence, and there's no end to it, because everything is influencing everything. This is what's called the deathless teaching. As Nagarjuna put it, this is the deathless teaching for the deathless teaching for Buddhas who care for the world. So the wisdom is that we are, as Kala Rinpoche says that we're, um, or Nisargadatta says, the wisdom is that we are nothing separate. Uh, but the love is recognizes that we're everything. Love tells me I'm everything. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. And Nisargadatta says, between these two, my life flows. So the the natural effect of a deepening sense of interconnection with the life around you, the natural expression of the heart is caring, is uh, sensitivity, is knowing that whatever I think, whatever I say, whatever I do doesn't just uh, doesn't just spin around in a little vacuum and a little vortex called me. It impacts, it reverberates everywhere. That nothing exists independently apart from anything else. This is the deathless teaching for Buddhas who care for the world. This is the teaching of interdependence, of interbeing. This is the teaching of emptiness, emptiness of self, full of everything. And it was the radical teaching of the Buddha that he saw through this self-illusion in various ways, by first and foremost by seeing the impermanence of everything that he had taken to be self and me, mine. And then in a much more uh, profound way, uh, having seen through the any notion of there being uh, some kind of independent self or agency, just the reverse face of that was seeing through the illusion that there was any other. This whole notion of self and other is a perhaps a conventionally useful expression, psychologically useful to have differentiation, have a sense of sense of um, 
of boundaries, etc. But on the deepest, the, the most profound uh, uh, dimension of, of experience, there, there is nothing that exists independently apart from anyone else. And ultimately, this is not just to say we're, there's nothing here. It's to realize that there's only love. There's only connection. Not just nothing. We tend to, if you fall just on the wisdom side, you can easily fall into what's called an annihilation view, which is seeing through the self-illusion. I don't hear, I, I, I'm, I'm not here, so therefore whatever I do doesn't matter. But what it the, re- the real fruit of the realization of emptiness, of selflessness, is that everything really matters. That's why in the Tibetan tradition, Padmasambhava said something to the effect of, my mind is vast, panoramic as the ocean, ocean-like. But my care for the fruits of, of action, my attention to the details of karma is as refined Karma meaning action and the effects of action. My attention to the details of karma is as refined as barley flour. Detailed, very careful, very caring for the fruits of whatever I do or say. So with this wider view and with the appreciation that what lives inside of you lives inside of me, if I can remember that, if I can be rooted in that understanding then how I practice with you as returning once again to the domain where we are separate individuals, where you're here and I'm playing this role and you're playing your role and you have a certain kind of history and situation and height and color and shape and race and all of that. How do we re-enter into this world of of, of endless differences, endless distinctions. First, to me, first and foremost, is that we never forget, to the extent that we can, that we can remember, we never forget that we are in this together. There was a fellow uh, meditation teacher who... Uh, who recently uh, came down with a very serious life-threatening illness, and he he went through all kinds of trials and tribulations, but his opening to the pain of his situation really helped him to recognize the universality of his of his um, of that what his pain was, what his illness was, was really not unique. That this is really the, as the Buddha spoke about, the, basically the definition of birth is the leading cause of illness and of old age, of dying, of not getting what you want, not wanting what you get. It basically comes with the territory. But this uh, Buddhist teacher rewrote the Four Noble Truths. And for the first truth, which is often generally translated as there's stress, there's suffering, there's all those things I just named. His definition for the first truth uh, is uh, we're all in it, we're all in this together. That's his definition of the first noble truth. We're all in this together. 
So to me, if we're really opening up to the fact that we're all in this together, what lives inside of you lives inside of you, what you struggle with and what I struggle with, what we all have to deal with is the same, then it, it, it makes for an interaction with you, even, even those of you who are, um, to the extent that I can remember, even those of you who are um, causing harm, harming yourself, even those of you who are acting uh, with greed or hatred or ignorance, even those of you who are saying things that I disagree with, hold different views, opinions, exercise different rites and rituals, even those of you who, are, uh, who follow a different religion or path or value system, even those of you who are left-wing or right-wing or chicken-wing, I know that what lives in you lives inside of me and that we all have this uh, that Buddha nature. So ideally, and this is, of course, this side of it is the view from above, is the, the bigger view, is ideally I want to uh, I never want to lose sight of that. I don't want to, as Ramdas used to put it, you don't want to put anyone out of your heart. So to me, that's a basis for, for being with anyone, is not putting anyone out of your heart. You actually can't get them out of your heart anyway. And any trying just makes you miserable. Because we, what lives inside of you lives inside of me. On the other hand, we don't, um, we can have very spirited disagreements. And when we disagree, ideally, we don't want to lose the, we don't want to lose the love. And if, however, we lose the love, if our heart shuts down, then ideally, in being, in practicing with another person, this is something we don't often do, is instead of focusing on, on uh, thinking about how the other person is wrong and reinforcing our case for the prosecution against their views or them, instead we feel our pain the pain of having our heart closed, the pain of being so aversive, so angry, so frustrated. I'm talking to myself right now. Thank you. So angry and so frustrated. As quickly as I'm able to, I want to withdraw my attention from that other person. I don't mean my love. I want to withdraw my attention from that other person and feel the, the pain that's driving my thoughts and actions and words of ill will. And I want to feel that pain. And I want to use that, that frustration to help me come back to love. So to me, the first and foremost uh, important thing in terms of being with another person and practicing is keeping my mind in my body, staying connected to my body. If I'm talking to somebody, 
I'm getting all worked up. I want to be able to sense how that is. I want to, I, I don't want to be so caught up in what that person's saying that I miss the fact that I'm getting, that I'm getting flooded with, uh, a, um, with some kind of emotional reactivity. There's no doubt that I will experience emotional reactivity, but I want to be, as one of my friends suggests, I want to practice the 80-20 rule. I want to have 80% of my attention in my body, and I want 20% in the listening to that person. And it turns out if I use the 80-20 rule, if I keep 80% of my attention in my body as I'm talking or even thinking or listening and engaged with somebody, if I keep that 80-20 rule, 20% in my listening, I will listen 200% better, 100% better. And at least I will be able to, in a timely way, catch when I'm getting flooded and withdraw my attention from, from the attack and blame and return much more to self-care, to self-care, uh, so I can return to love. Ideally, in being mindful, practicing with another person, I, uh, I want to be also completely, uh, really vigilant. You know, I'm speaking generalities right now, but, but I w- there's a few things that I like to watch for, especially if, if it's some kind of contentious conversation. I want to, um, how can I say this? I want to be... I want clarity of intention, and I want to be clarifying my intention as much as I can before I speak. So I really want to, I really want to know the engine behind my speech. So when you talk to, I'm, I'm hoping that you can just think of a, an event. Now, I, recently I shared the event of being stopped in the airport and in Regina, Saskatchewan, on my way back here after leading a retreat, and the board, and the airport security man stopped me from moving quickly through the line because I was a little late for my flight, even though I kind of checked it out with the people in line because and they were not, they were letting me through, but this security guy stopped me and gave me a really really difficult time, and I eventually after getting all worked up and keeping my cool for a little bit, I kind of lost my cool. And I, I looked at him very intensely sl- from a slight distance, and under my breath, but very clear to him, I called him a name. <laughs> I wish I could say it out loud right now, but it, it just... But I... I did not clarify my intention. <laughs> and in this case, the, the intention was to cause harm. I wanted to hurt him with my words. And he heard them. And they, all they did was uh, feed the cycle of ill will uh, that was already getting generated between us. 
Had I to do over again, <laughs> see, you know, the, the truth is, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> but I didn't enjoy the result. I didn't enjoy the result. And I, f- I left there having a lot of regret about what I had said, how I had said it. And I think I would have had, just like when we practice generosity, there is the possibility of, of joy in the thought of giving, joy in the act of giving, and joy in the memory of having given. It's the same in an in intense interaction. There's a possibility of there being a peace in the way that uh, it can be a certain kind of gratification about how you handled it, that you didn't add to the heat, you lowered the heat, that you, you stayed, that I stayed in, in the heart, that I didn't put anyone out of my heart. And in this case, I put this person out of my heart, and I felt the worse for it. I felt regret and was stirred up for quite some time after that. So clarifying intention to speak, if you can ever pause, a sacred pause, just to check in, what is my aim for speaking? And if it is driven by ill will, uh, you will suffer. And so will the person who is the object of it. This is what, what the Buddha said in the Dhammapada. In the Dhammapada. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hatred. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? So it gets back to that realizing our shared humanity. And then another admonishment from the Dhammapada. Live in joy, in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy and health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy and peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still. Free from fear and attachment, know the sweet joy of the way. So another major area of difficulty in being with another is the, what the Buddha called mana, otherwise known as conceit or the comparing mind. A huge part of our, our dynamic with other people is the um, tendency of our mind to put... Uh, ourselves above, below, or equal to others and be in a, in a process of, of measurement. Any of you recognize that in yourself? Does it affect your relationships, your interactions, your being with other people? Well, this, the good news about the comparing mind, as you've probably heard me talk about countless times here, 
The good news about the comparing mind is it describes someone who doesn't exist. There is no one here who is above, below, or equal to anyone else. These differences are not actually possible to find in when we're really with someone, connected to them, above, below, or equal, other than height (laughs) or weight. (laughs) Any other measurements? (laughs) But yet, um, yet this version of ourselves that plays through our mind that is pretty much constantly in a state of measurement um, is the one that often becomes the filter through which we experience because it, it becomes a case of mistaken identity. We become identified with that voice in our mind that says, I'm okay, I'm not okay, that person's more okay, I'm less okay, or I'm equally as okay. All those are um, a form of, of what's called personality view or um, self-view. It's ego. But ego is not you. Ego is just a, it's your, it's your um, internal narrative. It's your view. That's why the Buddha called it Sakaya Ditti, self-view. It's a view of reality. And a view of reality is not reality. It's an approximation. It's a description. And so to take a description of reality as reality, you miss, you miss real connection. Real connection, when we're really immediate with someone, these distinctions fall away, as we talked about earlier. We can't even, in, when we're very immediate, very present, we can't even, in that instant, we can't even recognize our gender. Our, our, we can't almost recognize anything except the immediate fullness of our sense experience. The six senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, thinking. Kind of the isness, the suchness uh, that the Buddha called tata, just the life that there is here. And usually our little story is a few steps removed from that. And so it's really important if we want to have real connections, we cannot be in our interactions constantly be being seeing the world through a secondhand version, through this Sakaya Ditti. But yet we need to notice, we need to get to know that those comparing voices. And we need to know what their impact is on our body when we're interacting with someone. So that we're we're not caught up in it, we're not deluded by it. So all the more reason we have to stay very current with ourselves. Keep your mind in your body, your body in your mind. Because you'll always feel the effects when you're not in harmony with reality. When you're not in sync, you'll know that you've landed in some kind of idea if you feel uncomfortable, really. If you feel uncomfortable, you've, you've fallen into a case of mistaken identity. And what do you... What, what do you think the remedy is for that? Loving kindness, coming back, taking care of yourself, soothing 
this unsettled heart, coming back to that state of it, that sense of immediacy where you're not definable, where none of us are definable by above, below, and equal. That's why we meditate, is to step out of that whole drama or at least see the difference between the drama and the immediate to see the difference, as we often share James J. Audubon's little passage, to see the difference. He says if, you, if there's a difference between the bird and what the field guidebook says, believe the bird. Really stop consulting, at least for this moment. Stop consulting the field guidebook and just feel your bird nature, your human nature, your unique expression of life. How do you do that? You come back to your body. Come back to the immediate. You don't keep thinking about, you don't keep feeding, trying to solve, how am I going to become higher? Or how am I going to become equal? How can I stop being lower? That is an endless cycle of confusion. That is samsara. Samsara is our confusion. Endless wandering. So to me, interacting with anybody is really staying in our body, noticing the comparing mind. So much, the reason I started tonight with finding that place of home where we all connect, place of here, is it's a place this immediate felt experience after your last thought is gone and before the next one arises, this is the domain of mindfulness. This is the domain of simple experience of the reality as it is, as life has come to be in this moment. What is a feature of this immediacy, this sense of just being here with what's happening now and knowing it, a feature of that is the, uh, there ceases to be a sense of need. The one you imagine yourself to be is almost perpetually in a state of need for validation, for uh, praise, to, uh, to, uh, in need of the avoidance of blame or judgment or criticism. But your mindful attention when just taking life in, just looking into somebody's eyes, just hearing, just trying to understand what someone's saying. In mindfulness, there's no need. There is, there is everything's granted. All desires are fulfilled. It's only our mind, our mental habits, that where we, we exist as a hungry ghost. The hungry ghost is that, that plane of existence or that metaphor for the state of our mind when we act like beings with tiny little mouths and huge stomachs, insatiable. That's of, the, that's of a, our mental story. But when we're really mindful really looking into somebody's eyes, really interested, really caring. We don't need. 
All needs are granted. Anyway, easy to talk about. It's another thing to remember. And hopefully, I'm talking about this so you'll remember. We do judge people. But it's really important to to track that the judging mind is judging. And, um, And as much as possible to not judge ourselves for judging, <laughs> not compound the judging, but to meet our own tendency to judge, be honest about our tendency to judge, but meet it with, um, with loving kindness. That engine to judge is driven by, for most of us, the insecurity of living in that personality view, trying to secure something that's not possible. Field guide book can never really settle the matter of who you are. What the only thing that settles it is when you're at rest with your heart right here. So judging mind is which we do and evaluating again not just ourselves above below and equal everybody else above below and equal. This is usually a reminder that we've disconnected from life. So we have to appreciate that and and, uh, bring ourselves back home and dedicate ourselves to to staying staying connected. Because it's really, when I'm connected with myself, it's really hard to judge you. When when I've fulfilled every need, it's really hard to look at you as a hungry ghost. You don't have to fill the hole in my heart when I'm present. But if I get disconnected from myself, I'm looking everywhere. Everybody's got to satisfy my hunger. And unfortunately, that hasn't made all the, all the ways that we've sought to satisfy our hunger. Unfortunately, as the Buddha called it, Lokiya Sukha, he also called it, it's worldly happiness. He called it the happiness of bondage, the happiness of slavery. We're continually setting ourselves up for more misery. So we just... So how do you practice with another person? Stay home. Stay where you are. Don't go out and search. And so that means that um, you realize that another person was not made in your image. The world was not made to fill your every need and desire. It was made to uh, remind you of when you disconnect and remind you to come back home. So that's all I have to say. Any other comments, questions? Uh, Practical details, I'll just say, tell the truth. Say what's true, what's useful. Be timely. Be harmonious in your speech. (laughs) I learned that the hard way. And and try not to gossip too much because it'll all make you miserable. And try to be really loving in your speech. So if anybody, if no one has any comments, we can sit quietly and um, come back to our bodies, do what, um, what I think helps us be together. Don't be too idealistic because life's messy. And rest your weary mind. And let's just consider that if there's been any benefit to us being together, that um, that we 
freely share it with everyone who we we have to be with every day and also all beings everywhere and the blessings of our practice radiate in all directions above below and all around with a deep wish that all beings can have happiness and peace and the causes of happiness and peace increasing that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering that all beings can recognize a sense of interconnectedness, of home, the deathless, here and now, not overlook this vital point, and the deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity, realizing that the world was not made in our image, and we will love it up, but we may not be able to keep it from suffering. A deep wish that our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be free. Thank you. So please be mindful. A gentle reminder about the room rental of $600 a month, $150 a week. Generosity is appreciated for the room rental. Teaching is offered freely if you like to support the teachings, the teacher. That's also appreciated um, and really allows us to keep, keep going. And just all the remember that if you would like your whatever you're offering to be tax deductible, you can write checks out to the St. John the Evangelist Church with Mission Dharma on the line, and, and you can leave uh, cash or checks in the box in the baskets over here thank you for your generosity and thanks for your practice <laughs>